Welcome to Design Your Life in Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, what's going on, Raj? How are you, sir? I'm good, Javon. I'm really good. Yeah, very, very happy to be on this. Thank you for the invitation. Hey, my pleasure, man. I know you're going to add a lot of value for our leaders that's listening. So I want to get right into it, man. And the first question I ask every guest is, who is Raj Anand? Good question. So who am I? I'm a father and a husband. I run a company called Goodman Lantern, and it's my third organization. I've in the past sold the company, taken the company from zero to acquisition, I guess, and one did okay. But I love running companies. I'm actually an engineer by training. I studied actually AI and I was on a PhD for AI 20 years back where people didn't even know what AI was. Today, fast forward. <laughs> now it's all the rage, right? <laughs> it's all by AI today. So yeah, so it's interesting. I, I studied AI, I did the masters in that, then I sort of got into marketing. In the last sort of 20 years, I'm in tech marketing and I love doing that. I love starting new companies, grow them, empower people, elevate people. And it's a big part of what I do, I guess. Absolutely, man. There's so many questions I have, but I'm going to try to focus this conversation on a marketing piece, man. But you mentioned that you own a company called Goodman Lantern. Can you give us a quick explanation of what you all do over there? Yeah, sure. So Goodman Lantern is a team of content experts. We help our customers sell better and grow faster through content. Effectively, we are a content marketing agency, but we also are in the space of helping primarily high-tech companies, so like telecom organizations, fintechs or banks, manufacturing automation companies, medical services companies. We help them with content creation, content strategy, and content distribution. So really focused on that big opportunity for tech organizations to have the story told. And we on our payroll have a lot of experts, you know, right from PhDs to ex-journalists, videographers, SEO experts, animators, writers, researchers. That's what we do. That's what we do as a company. That's pretty cool, man. So how did you get on this journey of entrepreneurship going from schooling, tech, and then finding marketing? Well, funny story. So when I was doing my PhD, I met somebody from the US, actually. They were visiting the UK, and they were talking about MySpace. Now, people who don't know what MySpace is, it's the ancestor of Facebook. It was the rage back in the day. And when I saw MySpace, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is going to take over the world. Social media would be the big thing. And it was. And I decided to build a MySpace clone in like a few weeks. Worked day and night, built my own sort of version of of MySpace. And I'm like, okay, I built it. I can develop stuff, but I can't sell or market it. So I went to do a, a mini MBA, which is funded by the government in the UK. And I got into marketing. I started loving marketing. And then I'm like, okay, this is my thing. And since then, then I started, I commercialized that software I built with a clone of MySpace. It was called Quick. Uh, that went okay. Then wrote a book for the Financial Times and Pearson Group. I wrote a book for them on social media. Worked for a corporate 
at the same time I was working the corporate I was doing a, a a startup in the evenings and weekends running believe it or not bachelorette party companies so it's like what we call hen party companies <laughs> as you do really yeah it's, it's bizarre but <laughs> nice why not I guess but so the main innovation there was how do you sell these services or bachelor parties to at some point we're doing like 20 groups per weekend biggest dance based hen party company in the UK which I then had a good exit from so that happened I learned a lot about sort of building remote teams remote businesses I was working for this other company as their CEO which is my day job and I thought okay well I, I know how big content is I helped them grow from seven half million to 40 million in revenue and I'm like okay I know how to do this let me let me do it for myself. And then I, thank you. And then I, I got into running a company for myself. And That's a pretty cool journey, man. You know, I kind of went through the same thing going from tech to saying, you know what? I like the business side more than I like the actual technical side. It's like, it just called me the same way it called you. So I guess that's why we're our paths align, right? <laughs> so you also mentioned that, you know, you run a team now, it's virtual, it's remote. And I know that's all the rage. There's a lot of contention right now in the market. You know, do you want in-person teams? Do you want remote teams? You know, what's the pros and the cons? So how do you manage your remote teams effectively? So it's not easy. So we have customers on five continents. We have teams on four continents. In fact, tomorrow I'm flying to South Africa to meet a big chunk of our team. We are flying in from all across the world. And I think it's about delegation and elevation of people. And that's a big part of what entrepreneurship is about. I often say that if you're working in the business and not on the business, why are you doing business in the first place? You might as well go get a job, right? So the big part of what I think entrepreneurship is to, to build teams. But when you're building a scalable business like Goodman Lantern, you have to build teams fast and make sure you cover different geographies, different expertise. And that's tricky. That's really, really challenging. But remote teams, in my experience, are a fabulous way, a good cross-section between physical team and fast-growing teams. And you can hire the best people across the world. And that's what I love about remote teams. Dennis Paul now with three businesses, my first business was not a remote team, but then I worked for a company with that for them. Overall, I think remote teams are a fantastic approach. To manage them and to motivate them, there should be a purpose. And I think a big part of what we do at GL is having a purpose. Our purpose is to empower women in technology and marketing. So how did that become the main focus for your organization? A lot of different things, yeah. So, I mean, see, I have a two-year-old daughter. And when I was doing engineering, we had some women in our, in our course. I did science at school, where women half for men. But as we got into our main courses, we noticed that there are less women. And I think there's also because there's a mismanagement, a bit of a gender imbalance there, maybe how women are treated or how they are not represented. And I have a two-year-old daughter. I don't want her to grow up into an unfair economy, and I want to change that. So to change that, I made my mission to empower women in technology and marketing Someone saw that we're 80% plus women in our organization. Wow, 80% plus. And then does that also reflect in client base or is it more so like an internal mission? So we not only empower women in our company, but also we have this thing called Rising Stars, which is basically a campaign to recognize and acknowledge women who are in marketing or innovation roles for tech companies. And we highlight them on our website. We talk about them, we promote them. You know, it, it goes beyond a company, but it's a big part of what we do. 
you know, we hire a lot of people across the world, right from the US to, you know, all the way to the Philippines, for example. And we are big on looking at countries where there is a lot of gender-based violence, for example, or misrepresentation of women. And we'll try to hire more women from there. South Africa is one of them. It's I've heard, and again, I don't know, maybe I'm exactly correct, but it has a very high gender-based violence. And there are a lot of, obviously, opportunities to improve that. By giving women the role to work remotely, they can work on awesome projects, come from their home, and still be able to empower themselves and their families. So hence we do that, and it's a big part of what we do. I love that mission, man. That's a beautiful thing. And uh, you know, I do a lot with uh, WSTEM. So hearing that is near and dear to my heart, just growing and paying the gap. And I focus a lot on the, the BIPOC community because I, I want to really help marginalized communities get level that playing field economically and just give them that same opportunity. So thank you for the work you're doing on that side. Really appreciate that, man. Now, you mentioned uh, marketing. Now, I'm seeing a lot of new marketers out there it's seemingly just popping up overnight. So if I'm the one sourcing marketing services, what questions should I be asking? How do I vet these marketers? Well, I think it's, you know, often finding marketeers or finding any supplier could be a challenging task in itself. And I think the best first step we can do as customers is to have a great brief. I think the work and the supplier is as good as our brief. The first step is actually on our end, figure out what do we really want? What is the expertise we require from the supplier? And if you can articulate that properly, I think the battle is half fun. So expertise, experiences, case studies, you know, for example, we, we do SEO and thought leadership content. But if our SEO is terrible, how can we prove that we can do that for you? So the first step for any marketeer is to prove that they can market themselves. So for example, if you look for telecom content writing company, you'll find us as number one in most geographies on Google. And that's a testament of like what we do. We do content creation for our clients so we can help them get to the first rank. The proof's in the pudding. Google it, you'll find us as number one. If you can't do that for ourselves, we can't do it for anybody else, right? So I think that example, the showcase is super important. Asking the right questions, expertise. And you know, most marketers today allow you to try them out a little bit. You know, they can do paid pilots, for example. You can do trials with prospect flyers, and that's the way to figure out who the right customer or the supplier is. Because if they don't allow you to do that, they're binding to a one-year contract without them being tried out. Is the problem? Yeah, absolutely. And I see that often. You know that hey, we don't have a guarantee. You know, and all this other stuff. It's like you know that's kind of like a red flag, right? Because I've had a couple of clients come to me, and they're like, "Man, we went with this marketing agency, spent thirty thousand dollars, and got zero clients." I'm like. Wow. You just threw that. You must didn't do your research or something. I don't know what happened there. So thank you for, you know, giving a clear cut, you know, process for going ahead and vetting and making sure that on our end, we ask, what can we do to make sure that we're hiring the right person? You know, making sure we have our ducks in a row, what the goals are, you know, what we expect, what ROIs, what KPIs and all those other numbers that we need to track that, that are important. So you lead and you've done three different companies. So this show is, is all about leaders and owners. So how do you define effective leadership? What are some qualities you think are the most important in the business world? I think leaders lead by examples. That, that's the first thing. I think as leaders, we can't write a good showcase of we want 
others to follow, then I think that is a problem there. So I think the first thing is like, you know, we should really lead, but also it doesn't mean that we do all the things ourselves. I think a lot of times leaders believe that because they are leaders, they should set example, they start to do all the stuff on themselves, they become busy fools. And at the end of the day, that leads to a, a terrible showcase of what can do. I think a big part, as I was saying earlier, as well is about delegation. I think that's a very important part of a leader to delegate and then meantime, take ownership of an area where they are really good at, they elevate that part. And when you delegate stuff to others, we have to elevate them as well because we train them, we teach them, bring in new talent who probably haven't done this role before, and we train them to become this next sort of thought leader in the space. And that's a big and important role for a leader is to build towards us leaders. That's a very important part leaders should be doing. So that's one. Number two is, I think it's really important to actually be able to not only lead, but also provide an opportunity for the, the team members, like constantly thinking about them. You know, our job as leaders is to be there the servants, to serve them. We give them the opportunity to, to grow their careers, right for their families, for example. I think without those two bits of mindset, I think, Leaders are not really good leaders, in my thinking. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the term leader is used loosely, right, in a lot of organizations. And I, I love the delegation piece. My whole saying is 3DA, right? Delegate, delete, delay, and automate. I want to make sure that I'm doing those things as a leader. And then with my people, I want to give them as much autonomy as possible. Right. But that goes to what you mentioned earlier, like being clear about the goals, you know, being clear about what you're expecting, being clear at the level of excellence that you expect people to perform and then having a way to really get some feedback on that. Right. Are we doing it well? What can we improve? You know, is this what we need to be doing in the first place? Uh, does it align with the values? Right. So I think that communication piece for a lot of leaders is is where a lot of us falter. We think that we're saying things in a clear and succinct way. But if we ask our personnel, they're like, hey, I really don't know what you want. I'm just doing my best effort. So I think that having that clarity and that communication really helps. So thank you for sharing that, Raj. So next thing you mentioned that you started off in A.I., and it's like now, and I tell people this all the time, like AI has been around for forever. <laughs> like just now starting to come back up and, you know, we see ChatGPT and Google Bard and all these other things. But you was in this game 20 years ago, man. It's like, <laughs> so how do you see that impacting the way business is going now, especially in marketing? Because you're saying is content marketing by humans for humans. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because back in the day, we didn't have the computational power to run our algorithms. We had all the theoretical stuff already, but we couldn't actually put in that elements of like computing power. Now, obviously, with GPUs from NVIDIA and whatnot, you can actually run some very complicated mathematics. So that's really hard thing to see. And yeah, I've been around the space for quite a bit, but happy to see is that there are ways to use that theory into real tangible results. So unlike potentially Web 3.0 stuff where you couldn't really see that, you know, brought to fruition, the AI stuff can see real tangible examples uh, can be used. I think what's interesting is this is tip of the iceberg. We have a lot more to come through, you know, every day. Like it's only been like what three months or four months we've seen chat GPT 3, 3.5 really taking off. And the innovation we've seen the last few days, weeks has been impressive. Now, compound that 
and think about it in the next four years, it'll be mind-blowing. I think we're going to see some really big changes. There will be things around roles being formed, roles being replaced, more empowerment, more TEDxing our capabilities, more growth opportunities. But I think the winners are going to be the people who really embrace it from day one. And that's the important thing, embracing it, not being scared of it, and not a sort of a short-term trend. This is going to be with us for many years to come. Absolutely. Do you use that within your organization currently? Yes. So we have already started to, in a few weeks now, we started to deploy AI within our organization. We have a mandate. All of our team members have to start thinking about how to use AI better. Writers, editors are all using AI. Sales teams, marketing teams are using it. People who are assisting us with different roles are using it. So we are really embracing AI and taking the bull by the horn so as, as it were. Same here. We are using it as well. It just makes it so it's really great in the ideation phase too, like developing what you're going to be talking about, how it should be formed, the outlines and all that stuff. It just makes it easier to say, okay, I know I want to talk about this topic, but how can I do it from a fresh perspective? What takes can I put in it? So I'm glad to hear that you're using it because I know marketers, you know, this is a godsend for us, it's like, you know, because it allows us to really focus in on what we're talking about and get a, a fresh flow on how we're talking about it. Yeah, I think there's something to be careful about as well. I mean, not everything generated by AI is ready for the customer's eye or ready to hit like prime time. You know, there's a lot of talk about sort of content being created by AI and going online, but there has to be thought leadership, real value creation for the content as well. And now Google is talking about like a, you're going to use AI generated content for SEO, but if it doesn't add value, we will penalize it. So there has to be that kind of a tangible use case once it's checked by human beings for quality assurance. It's a bit like generating a product using machines. You need to do QA at the end of it. They will be like, you know, badly manufactured products reach the, the customer. So that the more the QA which we do, the better results are going to be. And so that that's a should be a big part of our process as well as you embrace AI. Absolutely. Or else you're just going to get some generic stuff that's saying the same thing over and over again in different ways. So, And it's like, you know, people forget about that human element because a lot of what we do is tied to emotion and it's tied to the realness and that connection. And I think that's where a lot of people are afraid now, AI replacing things. But you always say you still need that human component because only humans can connect on that level with other humans, at least for now. Right. So we really have to look at it from that perspective as well. So it's not just a generic post saying, oh, hey, content marketing, this is how you do content marketing. And everyone else is posting the same thing because we're all using Google Chat, GPT and all that other stuff. So that's a great point that you made. Are there any other pitfalls that we need, may need to be aware of as AI becomes more ingrained in our everyday use? I think it's important to remember that there are cases where you can use AI and where we can't use AI, but it's also important to think about new innovative ways to use AI as well. So for example, as you were saying earlier, like for research purposes, it's fantastic. You know, there's a lot of use cases of that. But then how do you, like, for, okay, this is a good example. I was recently helping one of my relatives with insurance case. So he had a terrible insurance provider, had fallen ill, and they were not ready to pay for his insurance bills, his medical bills. So I ran all the terms and conditions of the insurance company 
and their emails through ChatGPT4. And I figured out what challenges which, which were there in terms of conditions, what were the opportunities. And then I asked ChatGPT4 to write me an email and send them back responses. And they would send a response back to ChatGPT4 and we would do this again. There are multiple times when there were things they were saying which didn't make any sense. And so there has to be someone to kind of look at that content and say, does it apply to me? Is it hallucinating, for example? You know, that there's a thing called temperature in ChatGPT or OpenAI, which allows it to be creative or less creative. So you need to be able to make sure you understand the ins and outs of AI as well. And then there's a case of, for example, what do you do with long text? You know, like you think about using vectors, for example, or for example, you need to like bring in elements which are not, you know, GPT was capped at 2021. So the, the data beyond that, you fine tune that using backend APIs, for example. So there's an element of thinking about what it can do, what it can't do. And if it can't do that, you need to be creative and using it. But, you know, I always say, check what's generating. Make sure it actually makes sense for you in your scenario. If it doesn't, and you copy-paste that across to the customer or insurance company, in my case, there'll be a challenge. Absolutely. And I love how you just gave a great example of how it could be used and then how you still had to check it. But that's awesome, like using it to combat the insurance company. <laughs> that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, that's the power of it. $15,000, you know, claimed in a day from ChatGPT. That's a very good use case, I would say. Yeah, that's a hell of an ROI. If I ever heard one, $20 a month for $15,000, i will take it. No, thanks for sharing that. So, you know, you have to be careful with AI, with the marketing piece. And we talked about how you tie into, you know, finding people you work with. What are some things that the listeners can take and learn more about what you just stated? You said you need to learn AI on the back end. How can someone do that? I mean, luckily, we live in the era of information overload. I mean, there's just so many videos out there. I mean, if, you, if you're interested in the topic, and I think that's the beauty of AI, but you actually, they actually use machine learning on YouTube as well to know what you're searching for and recommend more videos to you. To really understand AI, it's worth understanding the logic behind machine learning, logic behind neural networks. How do they actually use AI? AI is not an algorithm. It's not like building an algorithm for something. It's fuzzy logic. You know, how does it actually work? Understanding that will allow us to understand the opportunities which we can use within our companies. Because there are some things you'd be really good at, others it's not. Actually understanding the mechanics of how it works is super helpful. How it actually use computational power to kind of understand the different neural nodes. How it's mimicking our brain within computing programs. So, that's the kind of stuff. I think it's good to understand those things a little bit as well. And then look at the different tools. You mentioned Google Bard, as Lambda, there's OpenAI, ChatGPT. Using those APIs, for example, there, you know, you can actually train ChatGPT to actually bring in your own data. You can fine-tune it, for example. You can use things like vectors to like read long text and create long text. How do you search when you have long text, for example? These are kind of things which are a bit more advanced level AI usage, but that's where the magic happens, right? It's looking at the more complex stuff to create tools and services which will build the next generation of awesomeness, in my opinion. Absolutely. Do you have any like favorite prompts that you use when you talk when it comes to chat GPT? Yes and no. I don't really I mean, I know prompt engineering is becoming a thing, 
as people talk about problem engineering, problem engineering is going to become a, is going to be a real job in the future. And I agree with that. I have my favorites and I kind of keep them in a text box, but I'm very interested to understand thought leadership within content. So I often use, take content from people's websites and see and ask them to score on like 10 different bits of criteria to know about its originality, uh, focus, power to communicate the message across clearly, all these different 10 different criteria. I think that's a great way to understand what ChatGPT does. In fact, you can actually backtrack and backtrace how does ChatGPT, for example, rank content on within its algorithm. So in a while, I'll take two different pieces of content and I'll put it in and I'll ask you to rank it. And I'll ask you to explain why it ranks one better than the other. It's a great way to reverse engineer the whole thing and understand how do you get tomorrow's websites or apps to rank better on ChatGPT. I think that's going to be a big thing. Like we have SEO, we might have a CEO, I don't know, ChatGPT optimization, for example, right? So it's something to think about because as we move from search engines to ChatGPT as a main way of finding information and services, and then to do tasks from there, maybe CEO might be an interesting opportunity. Hey, it sounds like it, man. And then one thing to notice, I don't even think ChatGPT reaches the internet at this stage, right? I think they just have that database on the back end that they're pulling from that you mentioned it, it goes to a certain year. So once it's able to do that, I mean, sky is the limit. The only plugins coming out uh, for ChatGPT and is one with Bing. You can actually go to bing.com and actually download that app for your Android or your iOS and you can run it and you'll see that it's actually going to ChatGPT technology with search engines from Bing. You know, you can do search engine stuff from ChatGPT itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And I use, they have the phone app. I love, <laughs> I use it real quick. So no, that's a great point. So we've talked, we've covered a lot and I know the listeners are like, man, Raj, you're a godsend talking about AI right now. But you know, we talked about all the good sides of things. How do you deal with like failures and setbacks? And what advice would you give, you know, the listeners on similar facing similar challenges? In regards to AI or just in general? Just business, business setbacks, business failures, you know, say you, you tried something that didn't work. How do you deal with that? Well, that happens all the time. It's just like, there's no way to succeed without like, you know, futures back. I mean, I think of failure as just another way of learning. What doesn't break us makes us stronger. And I think that's the way I look at things. You know, I just constantly think about, you know, experimentation. I mean, I'm an engineer, right? We experiment all the time. And a lot of times it doesn't go the way we planned it. But that's just another way of not doing a thing. Then that we figure out what can we do better. In fact, everything I've done in my life so far is just multiple trial and errors constantly and documenting that trial and error, what went wrong what could do better and then make a, a better widget, a better process, a better system to, to improve it. I think in my opinion and my experience, it's more of how much is the focus on constantly not giving up. It's to keep yourself motivated all the time because it's so hard in entrepreneurship to keep yourself motivated. Lonely at the top always, right? And people who succeed, in my opinion, are people who are resilient, who are like, you know what? This is what I want to achieve in my life. I'll do whatever it takes to, to get there. And that's what makes, I think, a good entrepreneur is somebody who's maybe not the smartest person, but really, really determined to get that. Determination is the ultimate success strategy for any entrepreneur. And I think if you don't have that, it's a problem. If we don't have the intelligence, it should be all right. They charge GBD for that. Man. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Man, man, I love what you just said. Determination is the ultimate success strategy. That is a, a powerful statement right there, man. And I wholeheartedly agree. I think entrepreneurial mindset is a little different from everyone else's mindset because that resilience is not just a little bit. It's on 20, right? We are always having to deal with things that we didn't really anticipate. Things change at the blink of an eye when it comes to business. So thank you for sharing that. That was good, man. I'm going to play that one back myself. So we're going to get to the area that I ask this every guest, the same three questions. It's called the by design segment. So are you ready? Born ready, sir. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. All right. So what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation from? I think the hardest part is to have a vision. You know, it's like it's about thinking about that dream you're going to create. And I think most of us don't have a big enough dream. And that's the, the biggest challenge. I think the day I had the dream to achieve what I want to achieve, I just had a blueprint to kind of get there. And I think, you know, I, I love traveling. I actually travel quite a bit. Because a two-year-old daughter, not can travel, right? So I like to live somewhere where it's warm in the winters in the UK and go to Europe side where it's like nice and pleasant in the summer. So, you know, compounded the fact that I have a company with team members across the world, how do you manage all these different things? I think it's all about having a, a vision and saying, yes, I can. I can achieve this. I can do this. This is my plan to do it. And once I have the dream, that's my reality. That's what I keep working to achieve every day. Absolutely. And that's where that determination and motivation is coming from, right? It all ties together. So question two is, what is the best lesson you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey? Stay humble and stay lean. I think they're two different things, but they are really important. I know so many entrepreneurs who get so cocky. They've got 100 million recently from exit and stuff. And like that's like they are the, they are the shit of the world, you know, as, as a word. But actually the reality is, Life throws curveballs at us all the time. And if you just stay humble and stay lean, humble to be down to earth, polite, helpful, and we say lean as in make sure we spend and do things to our means and not stretch ourselves too much. I think with these two elements, I think we can progress much further. And also it allows us to train the next level, the next generation, whether it's our kids or our team members, to be in that mindset. Because, you know, it's really have one life. You only have one opportunity. Let's maximize that. Let's just spread that love and opportunity amongst people. The more we kind of hold on things, the less we receive. The more we distribute, the more we give, the more we receive as well. So I believe that stay humble, stay lean, and things just work out. I love that. Stay humble and stay lean. That's a bar right there, Raj. <laughs> so the third question is, what are three tools or tips that you'd recommend when scaling your business? Well, I think you, you talked about this earlier, actually. You, you talked about delete, automate, and delegate, right? So you, you said earlier, I think it's Tim Ferriss who said that. I'm not too sure, but I think he said something similar to that, but not exactly the same. But definitely delegate is something which is big on my list, like always delegate. And that's one thing. Number two is, this is probably not a D word, but it's not delete, but it's like dream big. It's funny because when I first began my business, what I wanted to do was to make $2,000 per month to live on that, right? That was my only dream. In fact, before that, I remember as, when I was studying, didn't have much money. I was like, just make enough cash to have an ice cream every day. That was my big, big mission. Scale that today. I mean, that's just silly of me to think of that, right? So like 
dream big because I think our oyster, the world, there's no ceiling to our imagination. We're going to spend as much effort in building a small company versus a large company. Why not think big and achieve that step by step? So, the, and the third thing for me in the same lines is the compound effect. Um, to achieve, from, to go from one to 100, it's not about doing 50 every day. It's about another one. That compound effect is so powerful. Like we just show up every day and just keep doing what we're doing. I think that is more powerful than to go in one day, be an A player and burn out and then not do anything for many days. So showing up, doing your task, for me, it's a very important part. And just that is something which we don't realize that we achieve it, but actually just showing up every day and doing our tasks into a dream bit by bit and being humble and being lean can achieve anything we really get our minds to. Man, you got me hyped up, brother. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. So that's some great tools. I love that dream one. Like I wouldn't even thought of that as a tool. So you just gave that. that it's a good way to look at it. You know, your dream can be a tool to motivate you, to carry you through those tough days and to keep you focused. So thank you for sharing that one. So what's next for Goodman Lantern, man? What do you have in the in the future? So we are currently working on multiple offshoots of Goodman Lantern. So we work on new tools. We have only launched one tool that's doing really well. It's like a dashboard to showcase our clients the success in content creation. So where are they right now compared to, to the competitors where they're set? It's, it's a whole dashboard analysis. We launched another tool called Humanify the AI, which is a, a tool for real editors and writers to look at your AI content and see if that's ready to hit the prime time. So we'll, we'll do editing for them. We're launching some more tools in the telecom space in the coming months. We're launching some more AI tools. So basically we're using Goodman Lantern as the incubator to launch new businesses. And it'll be a lot of iteration, a lot of like experimentation, maybe lots of bulbs, you know, like using the Edison analogy, a lot of bulbs which we don't use how to not get a bulb, but we will get to that one glowing bulb at the end of it. I'm sure the team will, will do a, a fabulous job. Absolutely. So leaders, be on the lookout. Make sure you go to Goodman Lantern, check them out. So how can the people connect with you, Raj? Yeah, we can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Raj Goodman Anand on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I'm just Raj and one word. Connect with me and drop me a line. Love to hear from people. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on, Raj. Thank you for adding so much value. We talked about a lot. We talked about AI. We talked about marketing. We talked about leadership. Man, you covered the gamut. So I appreciate you having you on and I look forward to everything you have coming in the future, man. Thank you, Gion, for the opportunity. Glad to be on there. Thank you. Yes, sir. Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening. 